Yes, yes, people. How are you all doing? We're back for another edition of Echo Chamber. And as usual, we're going to start with the top 10. Then we've got a couple of film reviews for you. And then we're going to go out with a little bit of film news. So, let's get with it. Alright, at number 10 is They Shall Not Grow Old, which is the fantastic World War One documentary by Peter Jackson. And if you want to hear the review of that, just go to episode 7 of the London Film Festival edition of Echo Chamber, and you can catch it there. At number 9, we have Smallfoot. At number eight, Johnny English Strikes Again. At number seven, Fugs of Hindostan. At number six, Overlord. At number five, The Nutcracker and the Four Realms. At number four, A Star is Born. At number three, Is Widows. And if you want to hear that review, just go to episode one of the London Film Festival Echo Chamber. And uh, yeah, you're going to be able to hear all about it there. At number two, you have Bohemian Rhapsody. And at number one, it is The Grinch. I'm a bit... I'm a bit upset Widows isn't at number one still because that is a badass film. But, you know, I guess kids and all, yeah, they will make the Grinch number one. But we'll see what happens next week, huh? All right. So we're going to get into our film reviews. And we will start off with a review of Halloween, and then we will get to um, Team Khan, a documentary about the boxer Amir Khan. All right, let's go, people. Right, so I probably should admit off the bat, I have not seen any other films in the franchise, but I'd heard... I'd heard positive things, so I thought I'd check out the new Halloween that is, um, you know, hit the cinemas. So this one is directed by David David Gordon Green. It was written by Jeff Fradley, Danny McBride, and it's starring Jamie Lee Curtis, Judy Greer, and Andy Matic. Kichak. Okay, um, it's an eighteen. It's running for an hour and forty-six minutes, and obviously, it's a horror. So the gist of this is: Laurie Strood confronts her longtime foe, Michael Myers, the masked figure who has haunted her since she narrowly escaped his killing spree. In Halloween night four decades ago. So I I think one of the big things is 
I heard a lot of interviews with Jamie Lee Curtis talking about this film. And, you know, she was talking about how it's the logical progressor from the original Halloween. How in this film, you, you, you know, the women are empowered. And it's not just women in a film just to be all screamy because they're taking action and and, and they're strong characters and um you know it, it it's just worthwhile and it's a good story so you know I figured all right that sounds positive let me check it out and um I see I don't know if the issues I have with the film are just because I just don't really do horror films, you know. So I don't know if that's the issue or if it was just a genuinely bad film. I don't know. Because I just found it, like, so frustrating. Like, um, they used the trope of the um uh true crime podcast you know because a few years back serial was all the rage and then you've got things like making a murder you know you know the the trial of oj so you know all these things are very popular so they're using that and you have this couple well, I don't know if they're a couple or if they're just two journalists. But they, they've they gone to interview Michael and they, 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 they go to talk with Laurie. And they're like, look, we're making, we want to talk about this, the whole incident in our podcast. And so, you know, this you feel is the framework but they kind of dump that whole thing very, very early in the film. So it's a bit like, oh, okay. Well, what's the driving force now? You know, there, there, there wasn't, it just kind of, as soon as that went, it just became very generic. Like there's... um. A, a weird accident, and there's no um, no rhyme or reason for why it happened, which would have made it a bit more of a cut above the normal horror film if you explained things a little bit. You know, if it had, a, I think the story needed a more logical progression rather than all these deuce machinas happening, but to explain every single event you know because that's always what you see it's just like oh we're gonna transport this guy to this place oh look there's a banana skin on the road and it's made us crash yeah yeah it's just a bit like played out so i was really hoping for more here but the more just didn't seem to be there like one crazy thing at the very beginning so when the podcast people have gone to talk to Michael in prison, they have his mask. But I thought it was a hockey mask. But this thing 
seem to be I don't know like a like in Silence of the Lambs when Lecter cuts off the prison guard's face and wears it that's what the the, the mask seemed like which yeah I don't know see now this I might just be ignorant to the franchise so I can't really call foul on that but every person in the jail is going crazy and like but why would everyone go in crazy because of this mask you know what I mean what like what why what is this because if that's the case because you know if we're saying the mask is inhabited the mask has powers then another thing that happens later on in the film makes no sense makes no sense whatsoever but um yeah uh, another kind of contrite about the whole prison was the fact that Michael has a doctor and of course they just used the old trope of a crazy weird haired like eastern european spectacled guy it's just like re really this is this is what we're doing here we're, we're, we're using this so i'm just like oh man and then when you get to laurie the depiction of laurie is really that she's a bit she might be off the reservation they don't play see i thought the way jamie lee Le jamie lee curtis was talking i envisioned a linda hamilton-esque character from terminator 2 judgment day that's what she kind of painted that's the picture she painted you know but you don't get that at all that you really do not get that and then even later in the film when we really get into the action she's just not that and you're just like okay so if you've committed your life to now training to being this whiz with guns and fighting surely surely you should be better at it you should have at least half a clue you know because the film it just becomes this nonsensical slasher flick really and it makes no sense like there's one bit michael is now on a rampage i don't think that's a spoiler because it's halloween we kind of know that's what's going to happen but michael's on this rampage and he kills a woman so he breaks into a house and he kills this woman she has a and he seems to be attracted by noise he goes after people when he hears them but there's a baby screaming doesn't kill the baby i'm just like are you have you done this because you didn't want to show a baby getting killed come on now 
like you if you don't want that don't have a baby in the scenes because why wouldn't he kill a baby he is killing everybody so why would he go hey i'm gonna step oh no it's a cute little baby look at the little baby i can't kill that oh gosh better find someone else not gonna happen it's ridiculous and he also walks past little kids doing halloween if anyone's gonna get killed it's gonna be irritating little kids doing halloween and he doesn't touch them come on now please ridiculous but he he's on this spree and it's just it becomes a bit too oh really he just so happens to to end up in that place in that location doesn't make any sense and especially because Laurie's granddaughter has told her friends the story they know and at the beginning you have them talking about this supposed killing spree and playing it down like oh he only killed five people we've had so much worse these days so you have them playing down this um situation so then you'd think it, it like these kids know what happened they've heard about it so when they come across a dude you're telling me that they're just gonna stand there and go uh mister mister what are you doing um uh uh i don't think you should come towards me um i f- your actions are triggering me sir they're triggering me i i'm <sighs> i find it extremely uncomfortable if you look at me in that matter oh look you've stabbed me no let's not be ridiculous and so you have these things that make no sense whatsoever and it just, yeah, it, it's, I find it very disappointing because the way the story was talked about was how um, this was going to be a different film. Like the women weren't just in the film to be screamy things running around. Because essentially that is, that's all they do. There's only, there's this one bit at the very, very end when they kind of change but it's for one moment and it doesn't really make any sense because of everything that had come before it you're just like oh so now now suddenly you've got a backbone i'm like oh come on man come on man and yeah it just doesn't it the film just doesn't make sense doesn't make sense whatsoever and it's just very, very disappointing because yeah, the characters are, are they just seem whiny. They just seem uh, most of them just seemed pointless, really, to the cause. And and yeah, you're just like you're just left feeling cheated. 
they I, I wanted a better film and this just wasn't it now as I said look maybe I'm missing the the classic horror traits here but yeah it ju- it just played out as a, a aimless an aimless slasher but you know very just oh it just looks so happens that he stumbled upon this person and this person oh isn't that a coincidence so yeah it's it just just rubbed me up the wrong way really so um halloween was a bit of a bit of a mashed up pumpkin if you ask me but you know if you're a fan of horror films if you love that slasher situation if you very much enjoyed the halloween franchise you know what maybe check it out but if you're on the fence i'd probably stay there so something that came to me a bit out of the blue was um team khan now this is a documentary from oliver clark and blair mcdonald um it's a fly on the wall documentary about professional boxer Amir Khan. Filmed over two years, it follows Amir and his team in their quest to fight the best boxer on the planet and the unbeaten Floyd Mayweather Jr. Uh, this is a very interesting because Khan is. Um, and was a very renowned, very respected boxer. I mean, as an amateur, Khan won silver at the um, 2004 Olympics in the lightweight division. At the age of 17, which made him Britain's youngest boxing Olympic medalist. Then, you know, as an amateur... Um, you know, well, from an amateur into the regional um, level of things, he um, held the Commonwealth lightweight title from 2007 to 2008. He also held the WBC silver welterweight title from 2014 to 2016. And he also challenged for the middleweight world title in 2016. Um, you know, he he also, he was the unified lightweight world champion. He held the WBA, later the super title, from 2009 to 2012, and the IBF title in 2011. So that's pretty impressive you know he was born in December 1986 so he's a young guy and he's achieved a lot so you know I was definitely interested to see um to see this documentary and so it opens up very candidly really 
And I think it was probably some of the most candid moments of the actual piece. Because we start with Khan just talking about boxing, talking about how he's perceived, talking about how hard it is. And, and his views, you know, he's just like, look, like people judge you. It, like win or lose, you're getting judged. And when you lose, they're just kicking you. You know what I mean? But they don't know what it's like to be in a ring. Most people don't know what it's like to be punched like that. But they feel, you know, they have the right to judge you. So Carney, he he's opening up. And telling you kind of his views. We're then given um, a lot of kind of old footage of him as a kid, you know, boxing, like going through the ranks, the amateurs, see footage of him at the Olympics, like that. I think the Commonwealth Games as well. You know, and then um, some more kind of as a pro, some footage like that, so it was all, um, it was all very interesting, and then we see him, and the kind of build-up to his fight against Devon Alexander, so at that time, he'd kind of come off some losses, he'd come off a loss, and he was just building his way back up, and this fight with Alexander, it was kind of deemed like this could be the thing that gives him the, the Mayweather fight. So, um, yeah, we see that. We see him, like some footage of him beating Alexander. And then, you know, trying to get the Mayweather fight, that not coming him possibly you know trying to make a deal with Pacquiao you see him with Pacquiao a lot of press um press meetings and kind of that kind of stuff but you know nothing really really comes and um so in in instead of the boxing we then have him go to Pakistan because there was a, a, a you know there was an incident in Pakistan where gunmen go into a school they 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 go from classroom to classroom just shooting indiscriminately and they kill a lot of the children they kill teachers it, it was just a horrendous a horrendous event and we have Khan go to Pakistan and um yeah, we just have him in Pakistan, and he, he he talks a little bit, like says he wants to go and meet the kids' parents, but that's all we kind of get. And then we have him going to Pakistan again, a bit later on. Um, but the problem with the bits with him going to Pakistan. We don't really get a proper narrative of why he's going like we just while he's there there's a quick little bit of him saying to someone oh I, I'd like to go and see the parents but that's it there's no reason it's just like how is this fitting in with the context of you know you trying to get this Mayweather fight where does this fit 
why are you here how is this helping with the narrative like give like let us understand your thinking around this you know but there's nothing we don't really get that and then it goes on to um Khan accepting a fight with Canelo Alvarez so he's moving up two weight divisions to fight Alvarez but again we don't really get much from Khan you have a little bit with his dad with his brother and some other people you know the hang-ons in his camp talking uh, and, but, but there's nothing from Khan really you know about why he wants this fight you know why this is important there's you know we have bits of him talking in interviews and things like that but that's all show you know what I mean that's that's that sound bites that's all kind of being pre-written pre-thought out but we don't get the honest opinions the honest viewpoints on look this is why I'm doing this the most honest kind of reaction around this was um the camera goes to his wife at one point and she's she's just like look I I begged him not to take this fight with Canelo I begged him uh but he was just like no I want to take this fight support me so I'm supporting him but all the time I was just hoping the deal wasn't made I was hoping something would come up but the deal's been made so now I'm just I'm trying to be there for him I want to support him but you know I'm worried and that was the most candid kind of thing that we saw in all that time from that opening bit with Khan which is a bit like mm, I, I, you know you kind of wish there was more of that you know more candid interviews and that would really have made this documentary something because it's it's all a little bit surface level like we do get faults from um his trainer uh Virgil um Virgil Hunter I believe um we we do get kind of moments from him um kind of talking about like what he wants from Khan like how he um how he kind of sees his work, how he sees his chances, how this could change his life and things like that, which, you know, is seems some fair assessments. That was the thing. The stuff with Virgil, it seemed like fair assessments. You know, he was breaking down some of his movement in the ring and we saw that and that was good, but that a lot of that was it, you know, the stuff with his brother and his, and his dad and everything, it's all very, 
bombastic you know they're just a bit like yeah Amir can do this and Amir's great and blah, blah, blah. people look up to Amir and it's blah, blah, blah. but it's just like look it's that's not we're not getting to the root of things here we're not kind of going deep into the egg we're not getting to the yolk yeah we're, we're, we're really we're just tapping at the shell that's all we're getting. We haven't even got to the white stuff. We're just tapping at the shell. And that's what the, a lot of this documentary was. Like, there was a lot of sound bites, like telephone um, messages that uh, people were leaving for Amir. Like, oh, we, we support you. We want you. Blah, blah, blah. But it's just like, what? this doesn't mean anything. These are fans just leaving these messages. Like, what relevance? This doesn't do anything for our understanding about Amir like what we really wanted was to find out what Amir's thoughts were you know like in that in those dark moments it when doubt creeps in it's just like yo so what what do you think will happen in this fight what if you lose this fight where are your thoughts right now you know when he loses to Canelo and he, it's a brutal knockout. Like, he was doing well in the fight. This is the thing. He he finally seemed to have his defensive issues pretty much sorted until the end. Because he drops his guard and he gets hit with the hook. But, you know, so it was a good performance. And then afterwards, he's just like, look, you know, I've, I've still got fights in with me. I'm, I'm going to continue. I'm going to blah, blah, blah. But it's just like, look, we then need to talk to him after. You know, we find out what he really feels. How did that affect him? Like the honest opinions, not just the grandiose, you know, sound bites. And that was, yeah, that was the issue with this. It, it was interesting, but only on a surface level. It didn't go deep enough. It didn't get to the yoke. It didn't give us, I, the, I felt really who Amir Khan is. That, that was nowhere to be found. And that's a, that's a big shame. Like another thing that was odd though, during the fights, they didn't give you the round numbers. Like that could have helped. Like some of the commentary from, like some of the better commentary from the fights, because you, that was there. Like, you know, love him or, or hate him, like Steve Bunce gives decent commentary. You could have had some of that, but that wasn't there. And that's a real shame. Like, I feel this this could have been a lot better than what it is. It is it was okay. It could have been great, which is kind of analogy for Amir's career. You know, he he could have been great. He could have been legendary, and he he just fell short from that. And this documentary could have been great, but it kind of fell short from that.
but um yeah you know it is now available so if you're interested in um yeah in uh, team khan finding out about amir khan and his his journey towards the end for for that um you know that big fight with mayweather if you want to find that out well you can because it is now available on dvd uh and as i said look it's 97 minutes it's from oliver clark and blair mcdonald so check it out it's on thunderbird releasing team khan okay so i hope you enjoyed those reviews and we are now gonna get into a little film news because we are drawing fast to a conclusion of this episode all right so first up looks like margaret robbie and dan lynn's production companies have signed a deal to develop a film around Tess Sharp's novel, Barbed Wired Heart. And this will be for Warner Brothers. Okay, so if you haven't read the book, the story follows Harley McKenna, the daughter of a meth-dealing killer groomed for the family business since she was 16. She squares off against the rival family who took her mother's life and must find a way to stand up to them and her fierce father without jeopardizing the lives of the abuse survivors in the woman's shelter she runs. Hmm. I don't know. Sounds a little suspect, but, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens, I guess. All right, so next up, there's going to be a remake of um, Stanley Kramer's classic western, High Noon. Uh, so, um, filmmaker David L. Hunt and producer Thomas Olamis Classical Entertainment have signed a deal with Kramer's widow. And, um, yeah, they're going to start work on... Um, on the sequel now with a hope for a release in the latter half of 2019 so um yeah i don't know i don't know i'm kind of like can we have some new material please people doing all these remakes and shit and talking about remakes well so, um, Army Hammer and Lily, Lily James have secured the lead roles in um, a new version of Daphne Demora's Rebecca. Um, this will be directed by Ben Wheatley and it's going to be coming through Working Title and Netflix. So, hmm... Now, if you don't know the story of Rebecca, well, um, 
yeah, it's about um, Lily James will play be playing the second Mrs. De Winter, a young woman who has married a rich, handsome, cold, and f- fascinatingly fan- fascinating widower Max De Winter, only to find out that she must live in the shadow of his former wife Rebecca who died under mysterious circumstances several years earlier. She must also deal with the jealous, obsessed housekeeper, Mrs. Danvers, who will not accept her as the mistress of the house. I I did enjoy the book, so it'll be interesting to see what Ben Wheatley does with it, I guess. Um, Next up, so James Cameron has revealed that filming has been concluded by the main cast of the Avatar sequels. Um, so no other real word because the films are um, they're still due to come out in um, December twenty. 20 that will be the first film um and then following you know in december after that a bit like um the lord of the rings films so we don't really know anything else but yeah filming's done so now um some stunt work and then it's just post-production all right and finally the um, word has come on Bad Boys 3. So it's officially going to be called Bad Boys for Life. And ugh, so life is spelt L-I-F-3. Ugh, those geniuses. <laughs> And um, filming is due to start the 14th of January next year. Uh, Expected to wrap in April. Filming will take place in Atlanta and Miami. And, um, yeah, I don't know. It's going to be directed by Adi El Arbi and Bilal Falafa. And the script is going to be by Chris Brenner. So yeah, I don't know. We can expect another, another bloody bad boys film in January 2020. Yippee Kaye! All right, people. Well, that is us for another week. Um. Yeah, next week should be fun. Got got an interview lined up. So, um, yeah, going to have, um, ooh, I don't know, at least, at least a couple of films, probably three. But, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. All right, well, enjoy your film watching, and I will catch you next week. Peace.